Father, we want to thank you for what you're doing um, in our lives. Father, we just want to pray as we come to your word, Lord, that you would, Lord, just um, take it and use it to change our lives for, for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it was, it was this time last year that my wife, Rachel, was diagnosed with, with breast cancer. She had surgery, and she was actually just waiting to hear, the res- re- hear sort of what further treatment might be necessary. And when you hear a diagnosis like that, well, you've got no idea what to expect. It's often actually that uncertainty, that just not knowing what the future holds, that sometimes can, can be the most stressful. But every single one of us either have or at least will go and go through storms in life. We will face challenges within our lives to a greater or to a lesser extent. So whether that is sickness or the loss of a job or the loss of a loved one, life can be tough. So where do you turn in those times? In 2013, my brother lost his 17-year-old son, and we all grieved But for him and his wife, the pain was almost unbearable. And the only place really he found some comfort was to lie and to listen to the Psalms being read on his Bible app. And in his deepest pain, he modeled what to do in times of suffering. He went to the Word of God. Now, Genesis chapter 8 may not be the first place you'd think of turning when perhaps you're going through a tough time, but actually you could do a lot worse because this chapter we're going to come to is full of hope, it's full of encouragement, it's about renewal, it's about the end of a devastating storm, it is the beginning of new life, of hope for God's people and for God's creation. Let's just read the first five verses. It says this, Genesis chapter 8 Verse 1, but God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the spring of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. And I want to to suggest to you that the very first word of encouragement here comes at the very beginning, verse 1, where we read, but God remembered. But God remembered. And you need to know in every single situation of life that God remembers you. And when God remembers, it's not that he's sort of recalling something that he's forgotten. God cannot forget. In fact, he knows the end from the beginning. But what it means is that he um, takes action according to what he has promised he will do. To remember implies a previous commitment by God. So God is not announcing something new here, but he is fulfilling an existing promise. And in the middle of the massive floodwaters, God takes action in line with what he said in the past. And this language here is deliberately echoing the language of the original creation. 
And in many ways, this is the recreation story. Now, back in chapter 6 and verse 18, God had established and confirmed a covenant with Noah and his family, which is the first time this word covenant is ever used in all of the Bible. But the word covenant appears only multiple times within Scripture as part of God's redemptive plan. Now, a covenant is an agreement that involves obligation and benefits from both parties involved. It's this binding promise. It's a contract but in some covenants, God alone makes unconditional promises to his people. In others, it requires God's people to fulfill certain conditions before God could bless them. In Noah's case, this covenant is highlighting a commitment by God that is already in place. So this is not something new. God's plan for mankind from the very beginning was to bless them and for them to increase on the earth. So God has not abandoned what he said in Genesis chapter 1. This plan is still on. Nothing can change that, not even a devastating flood. Yes, there will be a fresh start, but also there's a continuation of life. So that every type of living creature is preserved, not just the human race. That's why God doesn't just remember Noah, but all of the wild animals and the livestock that were with him too. And we are reminded that God keeps his promises. See, when you're in the middle of a storm or a tragedy, it's so easy to feel that God does not care or God has somehow forgotten about us. In fact, that's actually a very normal emotion. If you read the Psalms, you will see verses that say things like, God, why do you not why do you hide in times of trouble? Or God, where are you? God, why do you hide your face from me? It's probably why my brother in the darkest moments listened to the laments of the psalm writers and found some comfort in there. See, to ask where is God in times of tragedy or, stuff or suffering or in storms is completely normal. Even Jesus, when he went through the physical pain of the cross and the spiritual separation from his father, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you are not the only one who sometimes feels abandoned. But you need to know that God never forgets or forsakes his people. Not only because of his promises, but because of his character. You see, God is love. And where there is love, there is faithfulness. And his faithfulness means that he can never change, nor does he ever need to change. His perfection means that he is holy and absolutely dependable. So listen, you can depend on God in each and every situation of life. No matter how you feel, no matter what you're going through, even when the car breaks down, you need to know that God remembers you. Now, according to Genesis chapter 7, verse 24, the flood waters had reached their peak at 150 days. The, the um, torrential rain and the eruption of water from beneath the earth had stopped. And during the next five months, God causes the waters to recede. The whole earth... Um, the whole of the earth's landscape had almost certainly would have been changed in that process, and God sends a wind, if you like, the breath of God, to help the waters evaporate to restore life. 
On the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark rested on the peak of the mountains of Ararat, which is in modern Turkey. And I think it's interesting, you may not, but I, I think it's interesting that the Hebrew text here says the ark came to rest. Do you remember what, Mose, what, what um, Noah's name means? It means rest. And there's a sense in which this is the fulfillment of all the hopes, all the dreams of, his, of Noah's father Lamech, that one day his son would bring rest to a weary world. But as the waters begin to disappear, the search for land also began. Let's pick up the story again in, in verse 6. It says, after 40 days, Noah opened a window. He went, he opened a window he'd made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the waters had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could not find anywhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again. By this time, it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the, from the earth. Noah had removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Again, I want to suggest to you that the second lesson that we need to learn in times of suffering when we're going through those storms is that after the storm, God renews life. What's next for Noah? Well, the ark is now settled. It's, it's a, they're still oddly cooped up inside this big boat. I think the question on everybody's mind is, when are we going to get out of here? So Noah makes preparations to leave the ark. And he does a few experiments. So he sends out a raven. He, he knows this bird is a bird that lives on decaying flesh of dead animals. So um, he thinks this bird's probably pretty happy just to, to fly around and feed off the floating carcasses. And just as Noah expects, it doesn't come back to him, confirming that the earth is becoming a little bit more hospitable. After another week, he sends out a dove. Now, this time, the dove is going to give a little bit more precise information about the condition of the earth. It can't survive like the raven can, so because there's no place for it to land, it returns, indicating that the earth is not yet dry. A week later, Noah sends a dove out again, but this time it returns with a fresh olive leaf. Plants are growing, fresh life is once again appearing on the earth. Just one week later, when Noah sends a dove out for a third time, it just doesn't come back. The water has finally dried up. Life can once again multiply and fill the earth. Listen, this truly is recreation. Where there once was death, life has been restored again. And Noah, well, the second Adam, can make a new beginning for the human race. And we are reminded that God is in the business of restoring lives and families, and relationships, and health, and things that once were lost. In fact, it was the prophet Joel 
who declares the word of God. Joel says, speaking God's word, says, I will restore to you the, the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. And God is the great restorer. See, when you're in the middle of a storm or a tragedy, you need to know this. You need to remind yourself of this. That when situations look impossible, when hope seems to be completely gone, I want to remind you that God restores and God renews life. He takes what is damaged and broken and he puts it back together again. That's what the story of Noah is all about. It's about renewed hope. Out of the bleakest of situations, God brings renewal and brings recreation. But this is not only, but not only does he bring renewal, he goes even further according to the prophet Joel, because again we read, and my people shall never be put to shame. Do you know when Jesus died on the cross, he took your sin? By faith, we put our trust in him and our sin is dealt with. But also, he takes your shame, he takes your guilt, he takes your past. Listen, he has dealt with all of it, every last bit of it. You don't need to hold on to that stuff. You must let it go. You must put it away. In Christ, through Christ, all things are gone through his precious blood. Ren Collective wrote a song, goes something like, I'm not going to sing it, by the way, you'd be pleased to hear. <laughs> My sin is nailed to the cross. My soul is healed by the scars. The weight of guilt I bear no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Listen, that is what God has done for us in Christ. That is the promise of renewal. It's the promise of recreation. For all who are in Christ, we, are, we have become new creatures. That's what God's Word says. That's what we remind ourselves. That is what we learn through the storm. So the ground was now dry, and no one knows it. Verse 15, Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your family and, your, and, your, and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wives and his sons' wives, all the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moved on the land came out of the ark one kind after another. The third thing I want to suggest to us that through the storm that we learn is that by faith we learn to wait on God, on God's timing. Now Noah was a man of faith. In fact, he's recorded in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11 as being just that. He had faith to walk with God when the people of this earth were in utter rebellion against God. He had faith in God during the storm and during the flood. And now that the flood is over, he still exercises faith as he waits for God to give the final all clear. But please note that Noah did what he could do as well. It's not that he's doing nothing during this whole process. He sent out the bird to ascertain the condition of the earth. Circumstances clearly seem to be suggesting that this earth is now suitable for their disembarkation but, note this, he still waits for God to speak before he steps into something new. 
You know, more often than not, it's through the tough times and the storms of our lives that we see our faith grow stronger and stronger. But it's also in those times, just like Noah, that we learn to wait on God and to obey his word. Romans 10, 17 reminds us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So was it wrong for Noah to send out those birds? Should he not just have waited on God and just done nothing, just chilled out a little bit? I don't think so. He's simply using the available opportunities to, to, um, to gather some data. It's not about lack of faith in doing that. See, waiting on God is not some sort of passive activity. We don't just put our feet up and relax and put the TV on maybe and just do nothing that whole time. No, this is an active process. Waiting on God should be an active process. So it's not wrong for us to have an understanding of a situation. But you also need to be very careful that you don't lean on your own understanding. Obeying the will of God involves you not only doing the right thing in the right way with the right motives, but also means you doing it in the right time. Listen, the right time is always God's time. And sometimes you need to be prepared to wait. The Bible tells us that wait for the Lord. Be strong, take courage, and wait for the Lord. Listen, God has got an eternal perspective that we simply do not have. Listen, in those times of waiting, we will find that our faith will grow, our trust will grow, but also you'll discover that God rewards faith every single time. Now, I guess we can only really imagine the relief that the, these guys must have felt when they finally get to leave this ark. They have been together in this ark for a long time, and listen, that is a lot of togetherness. Perhaps they're cautious as first as they step out slowly onto the ground, but as reality begins to sink in, I'm sure they're hugging one another, they're running around, they're just so excited, just full of joyful celebration. God has kept his people safe. What an amazing day! What a great God. And the whole of this rescue from the very first instruction to build the ark right through to the final instruction to actually leave the ark came from God. The sovereign Savior who keeps his people safe from start to finish. Listen, God is, was in perfect control of this whole rescue and he hasn't changed a bit. He still is in perfect control of every aspect of your life and of your salvation. Let's pick up the story again in verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelt the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. The fourth thing I think we learn from this chapter is that during the storm is an opportunity for us to learn to worship. 
After Noah stepped out of the ark and stood on the renewed ground, listen, he is filled with gratitude, but notice what is the first thing that he does? Well, his first act was to lead his family in worship. And worship was his natural instinct. And I want to suggest to you that Noah worshipped after the storm because he also worshipped God during the storm. And the thing that sets Noah apart was that he gave God his very best. He called on the name of the, of, of the Lord, and he knew God's salvation. Now, in Old Testament times, as you may know, when you offered a sacrifice, a burnt offering, you would give the entire animal, the entire bird to the Lord, and nothing was kept back. You left everything on the altar. It symbolizes that total dedication to God. This is exactly what Noah does here. He gives his whole family completely over to the Lord. And the man or the woman who walks with God in loving communication and who enjoys his presence, who works for God and witnesses to others about him, and the one who waits on the Lord's direction will be the one who worships the Lord in every situation. Listen, that was Noah. What about us? What about me? What about you? You'll also notice in verse 21 that it says that the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma of Noah's sacrifice. See, when you offer sacrificial worship, and listen, worship should be sacrificial to God, it produces this sweet, this fragrant aroma around the very throne room of God. As we bring our, what would it be what we do on a Sunday, but what we do during the week, just the way we live our lives should be an act that is pleasing, a fragrant, a fragrant aroma within the very throne room of God himself. Now, this is just really a human way of saying that God accepts your sacrifice, that God is satisfied, is pleased with his people and with their worship. We read a similar thing in Leviticus chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, it is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. When we get into the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9 reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Listen, this is always the context in which God shows mercy. A right relationship with God always involves an appropriate sacrifice. So Noah's sacrificial worship is pointing us to perhaps the most important lesson that we need to learn of all. It is a picture of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. See, we no longer need to offer animal sacrifices because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. On the cross, Jesus offered up himself once and for all as the ultimate sacrifice for sin. Read in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it reminds us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it does go on and says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And Jesus Christ has done everything that you need. You must simply receive his gracious, his undeserved favor with a repentant heart. And it's on this basis, the basis of Christ's atonement, that God declares a price has been paid for the sins of this world. Instead of judgment, God shows grace. And God says, because of my son, because of Jesus, 
I will offer you my great salvation. This does not mean there's going to be no more judgment. In fact, God's word very clearly tells us that a day will come when we will stand before Jesus as our Lord, as our judge. We will have to give an account for what we have done, for for, for how we know Jesus Christ. But today you live in a time of opportunity, a time of grace. Today is the day of salvation, so today you need to turn to Jesus to to put your trust in him. Because listen, if you are in Christ and Christ is in you, your heavenly father looks and he sees in you the righteousness of his own son whose blood was shed for you. So just like the ark that saved Noah and his family on the cross Jesus went through the storm of God's judgment for you. And your response, in fact, the only response, the only right response, you must worship him with all of your life. Just some final thoughts as we, as we come to a close. So God has reaffirmed the natural order of creation in this chapter. However, the curse of Genesis chapter 3 is still in place. Because of Adam's sin, the ground was cursed. Because of Cain's sin, a further curse was added. So even though God makes a new promise to Noah, it doesn't invalidate either of these curses. In fact, one day they will be taken away, but it's only when Jesus Christ returns again, when God's people dwell in a holy city that's mentioned in the book of Revelation, Only then will we know what it is to be completely set free from the curse of Adam and the curse of Cain. But something has changed after the flood, after Noah worships God. Because God promises him that that he will never destroy all living creatures by a flood again. In his grace, God decides not to add to man's afflictions. So as long as this world continues, there will be crops and climates and seasons and days. So what is God actually promising? What is God actually saying in in, in this promise? Well, we know that the Lord originally sent the flood because of the evil hearts of the people. But actually, man is still evil. That hasn't changed. You just need to look around and you'll discover that very quickly. So it seems that God is saying two things when he promises never to send another flood. I think the first is this. God is saying that it's it's because of the wickedness of the human heart that we rightfully deserve judgment. In fact, that's all we deserve is God's judgment. Secondly, that nothing can change the human heart except for God himself. So having another flood is never going to solve the problem of the evil in this world. There needs to be another solution, a solution that can change the human heart. In fact, it's our persistence towards sin, in fact, our failure really to to learn the lessons of the flood that prove how evil we really are. So it's, it's, it's not that we don't deserve another flood. It is by God's grace alone that there will never be another flood. Why? Because God has spoken. Now, we are living on the other side of the cross. We know what Jesus Christ has done for us. We know what it means to be saved by grace. I hope we do. We know the wonder of what Jesus is doing. It is by grace alone, by Christ alone. 
the guarantee of Genesis chapter 8, verse 22 actually should give us a lot of hope and courage as we face an unknown future. See, every time we go to bed at night, every time perhaps we turn the calendar over for another month, it should remind us that God is concerned about the planet Earth and all who live in it. In fact, it was Jesus who taught us to pray, give us today our daily bread and to be thankful for it. And listen, God invites you to live one day at a time as a worshiper of him, thankful for God's grace that holds this world together, that sustains it. But actually, most of us are prone to take for granted the sunrise and the sunset and the changing face of the moon and the seasons. But all of these are just simply evidence that God is on his throne, that he is the God who keeps his promises. In fact, if you listen carefully to what creation is saying, you will, you will hear it preaching a constant sermon day by day, season by season, year by year, about a gracious God who loves and who cares for his people. Listen, you can trust him. You can trust his word, 1 Kings 8.56. Not one word has failed of all of his good promises. That's what God's word says. And you can be sure that because he is a good father, that he is infinite, almighty, all-powerful, self-sufficient, all-knowing, unchanging, omnipresent, wise, faithful, just, merciful, gracious, loving, holy, and glorious, and listen, and so much more, that he can guard you and keep you even in the hardest days of your lives. This is the reason, this is the lesson that Noah teaches, and this is the lesson that we need to learn and will learn through the storms of life. Let's stand together as pray. Father, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the promises. Lord, thank you, Lord God, that the God who speaks is a God who is absolutely and utterly dependable in every situation. And Lord, even when we doubt it, even Lord, when we struggle to know you're, you're even there sometimes, Lord, we thank you that you have not changed, that you will not change, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, we give you glory. We give you honor for you're worthy. Father, I want to pray, Lord God, just over us right now. We just want to invite you, invite you, Lord, again, just to pour out your spirit, Lord God, that you would come and just, just meet us, Lord, in our moment of need. Or whatever that may look like. Lord, for those that are stepping into new ventures, Father, we want to pray, Lord God, just for the Holy Spirit to come and just meet them as they step into a new opportunity, as they travel further away, perhaps. Lord, just bless them and keep them, we ask. Lord, for those, those are, who, are, who are here, Lord God, who are going through difficulties and challenges, who have got just tough things going on, Lord, hidden things maybe even going on in their lives. Father, we pray, Holy Spirit, just Bring your peace. Lord, bring your healing. But Father, as we even we walk through the challenges of life, Lord, teach us, I pray. Lord, teach us to be worshipers. Lord, teach us to learn to wait on your timing. Lord, teach us patience, Lord God. Teach us, Lord, to keep looking to you. 
But Lord, we want to thank you most of all, Lord God, that you are the one who is the recreator. And Father, I want to pray, Lord, over each, Lord, over each person here, Lord, who, those particularly who do not know you, Father, for recreation today. Lord, touch lives. Lord, for those that are just feeling they need just a fresh touch from you, Lord, for that recreating touch of the Father. We pray that in your precious name, Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and give us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God in Christ, God was, recon was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their, trans their, trans try it again, their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sakes. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Father, as we apply that word to our lives, Lord, we thank you that you've reconciled, but also, Lord, Father, send us out from here to be reconcilers, to touch lives, to change lives for the glory and for the honor of your name, we pray. We pray all of this in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Amen.